G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you know, the marriage debate is in full swing and will likely remain so no matter which way the postal survey falls, either to the yes vote or to the no vote. Well, one of the significant factors in the outcome may be the way that big business has swung its weight behind the Yes campaign. You might have been wondering about that. The obvious example, of course, is the Qantas CEO, Alan Joyce. But there are plenty of our nation's top businesses that have chipped in big dollars to endorse the Yes campaign. Well, our guest on 2020 Today calls this corporate sermonising. Online social commentator David Pellow back with us. He founded the website called Pellow Talk, dealing with issues of church and state, exploring the intersection of Christianity and politics in society. David's joining us to talk about this issue, corporations sermonising. A special welcome back to 2020 to you, David Pellow. Thank you very much for having me, Neil. David, if we talk about sermonizing, this is uh, something that Christians are pretty familiar with. Those regular churchgoers turn up at church on Sunday. Some people have been doing this, the same thing, the same routine for 50 years. They're very familiar with sermonizing. You've got the preacher in the pulpit, uh, the pastor or the priest or whoever it might be, and reflecting a sort of a worldview and based, of course, when you're Christian, in the Scriptures. So when you talk about sermonizing in a different context, it's a little bit different for people. What are your thoughts on this idea of corporate sermonizing? Well, sermonizing itself is a, a word that's usually used negatively. Um, we don't we don't like the word sermonizing. It's it's usually ref, reserved for people who perhaps don't have authority and yet assume to impose their their moral view on others, and it's often used of the world to describe Christians declaring truth and and messages. And it's usually referred with resentment, like, don't sermonize to me. And yet that's exactly what's now happening in reverse. In the world is sermonizing to us. They're trying to impose their values upon society and telling us that we are evil if we disagree, that we are the sinners, that we need to repent and we need to turn from our wicked ways of trusting God and relying on Scripture as as our infallible authority and approach to all these things, and so you have people like Alan Joyce and and other many other companies who are virtue signalling. They they're claiming that they have this virtuous position that everybody else should imitate, and they use nice sounding words to describe their tolerance for sin. They use the words like tolerance. And they use words like equality and inclusivity and diversity as if these are all infinite goods in and of themselves. But there are clearly many things that they refuse to tolerate and ideas and approaches and values which they refuse to be inclusive of and celebrate in in their diversity. The one thing they don't like is diversity of ideas, especially God's ideas. 
Something very controversial you're uh, saying here when you talk about sin, because sin is one of those things that as Christians we try to get a handle on that and talk about that in a a rebellion sense, a rebellion against God's uh, authority, uh, against Mm -hmm. God's word, against God's law, against uh, behavioral issues. Uh, The side of the Yes campaign doesn't like anyone referring to behaviors like homosexuality as sin mm. and uh, and there's this endeavor isn't there and part of the sermonizing here is to soften uh, this idea of sin and not have this homosexual practice aligned with this sort of sinfulness mm. uh, that Christians might sermonize about themselves what are your thoughts on this idea of sin as being something central here well we can't be afraid of the word sin because that's exactly what they're accusing us of while uh, and by us i mean anybody that disagrees with the new orthodoxy of corporate sermonizing that that they are actually not using the word but they're still portraying us as evil and wicked and departing from the right path and what they're actually accusing us of is what they're doing they're accusing us of demonizing people who embrace sin as less valuable, less dignified, less equal and inferior to us when when that's not at all the case. It's actually because we highly regard our neighbor, because we love them and we're concerned for them like a brother or like a neighbor or like a parent would be, that we're actually loving them enough to point out, hey, that's not healthy, that's not right, that's not good for our nation. It's not because we think they're an inferior person that's condemned to hell. In fact, it's the opposite. It's it's actually here's the right way, here's the best way to be saved. It's no more condescending and patronizing than a lifeguard on the beach saying swim between the flags. It's a loving, generous investment of your own inconvenience into the welfare of others. And so when we say that is a sin, it's just like a lifeguard blowing the whistle and saying, you're going to get caught in a current that's not going to be good for your health. Best to swim between the flags that God has designed for us. Because it's not about condemnation. It's actually about love and affection and, and concern. So, yes, homosexuality is a sin. And and no, saying that it's a sin is not a sin. That's actually truth. And truth is not the new hate speech. It's the old love speech. Well, I want to invite listeners, you can be a part of our conversation today, 1-800-316-316 to join in the conversation. You might have your own thoughts, your own insight. You might have a question to ask. Interestingly, Dave, corporate positions that have control over sometimes absolutely vast, huge resources and using those resources on the personal crusade. And uh, we're talking Alan, Alan Joyce here, and of course, but there are lots of other mm. uh, corporations. And uh, I haven't got a big long list in front of me at all, but uh, listeners will be familiar with uh, full-page ads in major daily newspapers yep. that have had, uh, you know, 50, 100 uh, corporations all signing up to this whole uh, yes campaign. Mm. So there's a lot of corporate executives using the resources at their disposal to sermonize here. Uh, what are your thoughts about the use of uh, corporate resources in that way? Well, it's a it's a questionable uh, dilemma that we've got to the ethic of, of democracy. Legally, a corporation is a valid person, but 
it's a legal entity, um, but it, it doesn't get a vote in democracy. You, Telstra does not get to fill out a ballot form. Alan Joyce does. Qantas doesn't. Um, and we see that you know there's lots of concern in in the press about donations from uh, political donations from conflicting interests, perhaps outside the nation or or even within, such as developers donating to to local council elections. So you have to wonder, is this completely okay or or is it not? I'm all for free speech and I probably am not going to rest on the side of advocating that we restrict the free speech of companies like Qantas. I think we should do what Margaret Court did and communicate publicly our displeasure at the company replacing service with sermons and then we should actively inform them and follow through with our choice to prefer other providers over those that see fit to campaign against the values which have made our nation great, especially those that lead the campaign. Fair enough, Virgin and Qantas both have the same position on redefining marriage, but Qantas has seen fit to actually lead the campaign like some kind of personal crusade, and I think that qualifies them for a singled-out boycott where we actually, wherever possible, fly any other airline. And... um, and that, that is the better solution to actually introducing a bigger government control and restriction on, on somebody else's free speech. But in return, we should be exercising our free speech. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we have dollars in our pockets and we have the freedom to spend those dollars wherever we want to. And where there are going to be corporations that agree with us, uh, we might say, well, we'll spend our dollars there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have this choice not to spend our dollars uh, where we don't feel those values are reflective of our own values. The interesting thing is that some people will say, isn't this the wedge that we didn't want? Uh, isn't this the conflict that we didn't want at the start of a debate like this, that somehow or other you divide a whole nation and people are supportive of one company but they're not supportive of another? Uh, what are your thoughts on this, the idea of of our dollars and the idea of boycotts being a wedge that drives Australians apart? I think... I think the conservative uh, right of centre um, Christian voice in, in the world has really, really lagged behind the political game that is democracy and capitalism, and they are far better at it than we are. We only pay attention when there's when there's a, an election on, when there's a vote, but they have been doing it for decades between battles, between elections, non-stop. But recently we're starting to wake up. You see one of the global leaders in corporate sermonizing, uh, Starbucks, actually had a very, very left-wing militant activist CEO. Um, his name was Howard Schultz, and he was very outspoken on many issues. When Trump wisely said we're going to ban immigration temporarily from the few number of most dangerous countries that have been identified as the preferred point of origin for terrorists, he decided to come out and advertise that they were going to employ 10,000 refugees as some kind of virtue signaling morality. But most famously, he he invited shareholders who were unhappy with their position on redefining marriage, their public activism on redefining marriage, to go and invest elsewhere. Now, the reality is that many shareholders did do that and many customers stayed away from Starbucks and their share price plummeted 
and their business profits plummeted and the CEO was replaced a short period of time later with somebody who wouldn't lead the company down a non-service path. And the power of Christian conservative activism, consumer activism, actually is very powerful. There are plenty of places to get a good coffee from. There are plenty of places to to get a good flight from. There are plenty of banks, plenty of telecommunication providers. We can vote with our feet. We can vote with our dollars. We don't just have to wait to the ballot box. And you know, as to whether wedging these issues is good or bad, I think that was started 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified. Yes, and uh, and the idea that we've got a vote, uh, that we'll be putting our postal ballot in for the ABS survey and there'll be a yes vote and there'll be a no vote and uh, and we'll wait and see who wins. 15th of November is the big day when that announcement will happen. What you're saying is actually our vote is strengthened if we appreciate the value of the dollars in our pocket. And you don't have to be hugely wealthy. Uh, You just need huge numbers of people to have a same common ethical approach to how they spend their money. Is this, do you think, perhaps even a part of where our good Christian stewardship lies, that we ought to be stewards of what we have, and when there are companies that don't hold the same ethics that we think they ought to hold, uh, we can actually make a a major comment by not spending our dollars there? Yeah, absolutely. I I think it is um, imperative for us to consider our consumer patronage and investment in the company, especially when they make it their point. So I don't mind flying Virgin because although Richard Branson is a hardcore lefty in big time support of of homosexual marriage, when I fly Virgin, they don't make their brand infinitely about it. They don't paint entire planes in rainbows and make massive donations, you know, front page news. Maybe he donates personally, maybe he doesn't. I actually haven't heard about it. But Alan Joyce has associated the Qantas brand with the campaign to redefine marriage, to throw out the Judeo-Christian values that our nation was founded on, and I think it's it's treacherous, and I refuse to give an ounce of profit to anything that might be used for such un-Australian, damaging, destructive outcomes for the future of my nation. I think it's basic patriotism and loving my neighbour to make sure that whatever profits I can control go to companies that will better administrate it, especially when they've made it inseparable from their brand. Dave, for some listeners, they'll say, wow, who is this guy, Dave Pello? He's a little bit hard line here. Uh, this is not what I thought I was signing up for. But there is a certain sense, isn't there, when you are a Christian believer and you are conforming to the image of Christ Uh, where you want to pursue a life of righteousness, somewhere along the line, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is who I am, these are the values that I hold, and sometimes the the things we're spending our money on are typically the things we need to rein in when we know we're spending money in the wrong places. Mm. There is something here, isn't there, that as Christian believers, and sometimes we don't think of this, we say, oh, I've got to get into the Bible more. I've got to be into prayer more. Mm. Uh, very few people are talking about deepening their Christian faith by saying, this is how I'm going to spend my money from now on. But this is a very relevant way that mm. we're talking about uh, sermonizing. It's sermonizing both sides, but uh, but it, it's a powerful thing that we have, the way we spend our money. Yeah, absolutely. And look, 
To a very large extent, the church universal has lost a lot of its power because it it has lost the ability to distinguish and differentiate between pastoral conversations and political conversations. There were many conversations that Jesus had which were extremely harsh, an extremely hard line, if you want to use that word. And of course, he's famous for all the gentle and soft pastoral conversations that he had. And when he was talking about issues of justice, he took a hard line. And when he was talking about individuals, he took a very gracious and generous line. And we need to understand that if Alan Joyce decided to come to my church, I would embrace him in my arms, shake his hand warmly, and say, welcome. I wouldn't appoint him to leadership, but he'd be welcome in the congregation. And any person who's who's not completely right with Jesus, should be welcome, just like any sick patient should be welcome in a hospital. That's actually where we want them. That's the right place. But if Alan Joyce wanted to have a conversation with me about his personal life, it would still be generous. If he wanted to have a conversation with me about national policy, it's not pastoral anymore. There's no room for grace. There's only room for truth and justice because there are literally tens of millions of lives at stake. And... You have to choose between are we going to offend somebody, hurt somebody's feelings, or are we going to save the lives of babies, save the the, the parentage and the family environment of future children yet to be created? These issues are not easy, but you know we we have to be what Scripture calls us to be, and that is immovable. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. Twenty twenty on Vision. David Pellow, our guest, and just before we take some calls, uh, David, your uh, your website called Pellow Talk, uh, dealing with issues, church and state, exploring this intersection of Christianity and politics in society. Uh, you've had high-profile people who've been your guests, and uh, you've endeavoured to tease out uh, and sometimes uh, get into some heated discussions and conversations about these issues of church and state. Uh, how's things been going with your website? Yeah, the uh, web address is davepello.com, and uh, it's going well. We've uh, started to increase our internet interviews, so we're interviewing people from around the world via Skype and having a chat with with them, and uh, that's really good. I recently managed to interview a dozen, maybe two dozen. It was a big number in one day of of high-profile guests that all came to a, a conference um, called Liberty Fest in uh, Brisbane. So I was invited to be the official interviewer for everybody that whole day. So sat down with uh, those. There's two of those interviews on the YouTube channel at the moment ready to go. So um, people can watch those at youtube.com slash Dave Pellow as well. And uh, that's a really great invitation because I'm being invited into this secular, non-religious context to explore issues of truth. And uh, and that's really one of the main goals of of uh, yeah the the project that we're undertaking. We're taking calls one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Graham in Somerset in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome along. Yes. Good morning. How are you? Very well, Graham. What are your thoughts? Well, look, I just want to say I'm absolutely thrilled about the discussion this morning, Dave. I think everything you've said is right along the line of what I believe myself, and I'm. Uh, it's just a, a breath of fresh air. We, here in Tassie, we've been very involved in, uh, with our church and the 
in the no campaign and uh, sometimes it can be really disheartening when we see our signs torn down and mm. and uh, ourselves abused and and, and and you've spoken about the the, the, the power that the, that uh, a lot of the corporations seem to have and mm. and I'm so glad you mentioned the boycott word because I think that sometimes apart from prayer that's the only power we have is to where we spend a dollar and let people know that hey I'm not going to fly with Qantas anymore I'll choose another airline etc etc um, but sometimes I wonder if we boycott everything though that um, that is evil I think we'd have to leave the planet. Graham, interesting thoughts there. Get your response uh, to Graham uh, because uh, he makes some interesting points, uh, a boycott culture, all of those sorts of things. Uh, your thoughts for Graham? We can um, we can take a leaf from the left on this. Uh, they are past masters at using this incredibly manipulatively and strategically. So take, for example, their boycott of Cooper's Brewery. If they wanted to boycott every Christian business and organize it, they would soon become white noise, uh, indistinguishable, and, and every campaign would lose its effect. But they single out the leader of the pack. They single out the weakest animal in the herd, and they attack and they make a public example of the people that they wish to humiliate as deviating from the new orthodoxy. And they did that effectively with Cooper's Brewery. And unfortunately, uh, there was a white flag waved and a hostage video produced and a complete reversal of, of their previous public position, which was incredibly reasonable and middle ground. And they wouldn't accept anything less than donations, complete surrender and public humiliation of this person. And so, no, we don't need to boycott absolutely everybody. But we do need to be better organised and certainly focus on the the leaders of those campaigns against those Judeo-Christian values that made Australia great. So that's why we can single out Qantas and not be worried about having a, a double standard when we go and fly other airlines that support homosexual marriage because it is still very effective. In fact, it's especially effective when when we can make other companies think about the particular cost to them of a singular targeted campaign, and they, they clearly fear this. In fact, I won't even get corporate sponsors on my show for fear of the fact that they will be singled out as and, and that their businesses will be punished uh, in return. So, uh, yeah, we, we can do it without having to be universal. Thank you so much to Graham in Somerset in Tasmania. We'll take another call in just a few moments. Just to follow through, though, uh, the Cooper's Brewery issue uh, and the way that uh, they were they were singled out, and as you say, a hostage video, and all of a sudden they were supporting the Yes campaign. Mm. Uh, an interesting way this works in intimidation, because if you've got a public boycott plan or even a threat then other businesses that fear that they are going to be targeted too come under this enormous intimidation and therefore feel as though they have to bow to the new progressive ideology, as you're saying. Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, intimidation tactic is being used against the church. Uh, there might be listeners who might have concerns about how we respond to that. Uh, do we turn the other cheek? Uh, do we stand strong and uh, do we fight with the same tactics? Well, there might be some more conversation about that. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Jeff in Esperance in WA. Hello, Jeff. Welcome along. Good morning. Jeff, need to be quick. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, um, I just wanted to say that I, I think 
you know, the, the problem that the Christian church has is, is that, you know, with the LGBTIQ community is that they're fighting against nature. You know, this is nature at work. So, you know, it, it, it's factual, right? Whereas the Bible isn't actually factual. It's based on faith. Uh, there's a few things there that I know a lot of people will take uh, issue with. Uh, your response quickly. We just only got a minute and a half to the news. Uh, a quick response from you, Dave. Yeah, I uh, appreciate that um, perspective, Jeff. It's definitely valid. But the Bible is, I'd say, it's based on a lot more fact than anything else. If we apply, applied the same standard of academic scrutiny to the Bible, uh, sorry, to all other historical documents that we apply to the Bible, we wouldn't have any documents left. The Bible passes all tests of factual claims. And uh, yes, it requires a degree of faith to activate, but it's not, ex- it's not exclusively faith. Online social commentator David Pello is with us today. He founded the website called Pello Talk, dealing with issues of church and state, exploring the intersection of Christianity and politics in society. We're talking about corporations sermonizing. Uh, David Pello, before we take any more calls, uh, you are a collector of quotes. Uh, you are a student of great leaders mm. uh, throughout the history of the church. One of those you have identified, Martin Luther King, who led the civil rights movement uh, back in the 1960s, was assassinated for uh, his stance mm. uh, for righteousness in the way that uh, he yes. was dealing uh, dealing with the civil rights issues in the U.S. He made some incredible comments about the church and its place in society. Uh, what one have you got there for us today? It's actually remarkable that he uh, was willing to be so inconvenienced and and so discomforted by his love for his neighbour that he ended up being assassinated. Um, But he said, among other things, he was a a, a reverend, a a church leader, and uh, he said, The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state, and never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. A very, very powerful comment, and uh, we'll reserve some more talk about that. You might like to have your own say, 1-800-316-316, because we are taking calls. Uh, You might have your own insight to offer to our conversation today, talking about corporate sermonising. Let's take a call from an anonymous caller in Queensland. Hello, welcome along. Hello. Hi there. What are your thoughts on our conversation? Um, I watched a Q&A debate the other night on same-sex marriage, and there was a Catholic priest on there who said he was going to be voting for same-sex marriage, but he sort of felt as though it should stay in the secular realm. Um, even Christianity doesn't seem to have, have a 100% consensus against it. I was just wondering what your comments were on that, please. I'm not sure if you caught that debate, Dave. Uh, I did, and you're making reference to Father Frank Brennan, who is a legal mind in the Catholic Church, and uh, he was indicating that he was going to be voting yes. Now, if I was uh, for our caller uh, reflecting and uh, just on my memory of that conversation, he was reflecting on what the church might do if there is a yes. He was of the mind, and I hope I'm reflecting his thoughts correctly, uh, 
that uh, there would be some inevitability to see that uh, same-sex marriage would somehow or other become legal in Australia. But uh, I think in the context of what he was talking about, this idea of what would the church do if all marriages became civil by nature civil relationships, as though there's a civil relationships register uh, that uh, homosexual people would be able to be a part of and therefore made equal. But what I picked up from Frank Brennan in that discussion was what the church would do. And he was making a very significant distinction uh, to what he called sacramental marriage. In other words, raising the idea of Christian marriage above what a relationship's register might look like. So mm. even if there was uh, some sort of legislation, it may not solve the whole issue because all of a sudden you're going to have an elevated view of Christian marriage. So it never will really truly be what they call equality because if it's on the relationship's register, that's all it will be. Uh, for our caller, uh, do you have a, a thought for our anonymous caller, Dave? Look, the... The voices from some corners of of Christianity calling for redefinition of marriage is disappointing. Um, I I do try to give those voices the credit of good motives, and uh, you, you know, good motives aren't enough. But I I do think they're trying to be loving and embracing and charitable and gracious and merciful and. And we are called to be all of those things, but we're not only called to be those things. We're also called to be that prophetic, zealous voice that declares truth and justice out of love, not in condemnation or bigotry or hate or or intolerance, but to actually just say, while I love you and accept you as you are, I love you too much to be indifferent to the things that are harming you. And I think also just reflecting on those thoughts from our anonymous guest, uh, when we talk about uh, the way that as Christian believers we think about marriage, uh, the push that's on right now and the strength that's coming to the no case really is because marriage has brought beautiful things to our whole culture. It's caused our culture to flourish in an important and a special way. Mm. And in this flourishing, we don't want to lose that flourishing by uh, inhibiting the rights and the value of children of generations that might not know their biological mother and father. Mm. Uh, so uh, for our anonymous caller, uh, thank you so much for your insight today. And uh, we are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Julie is in New South Wales. Hello, Julie. Welcome along. Oh, hi, how are you? Very well, Julie. What are your thoughts? Well, I was actually seeking the Lord a few weeks ago, and um, I'm, I'm a prophet and I preach, and I was seeking the Lord a few weeks ago, and I was asking him about where our role was, and he gave me this scripture in Matthew, which says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you know, hypocrites. You've, um, you, you've um, worried about the tithe and the common." but you've ignored the weightier matters of the law, such as justice and mercy and the widows and the fatherless. Mm. And um, we're in a season, I believe, right now of the wheat and the tares in the church, you know, the very end times. And in Revelation chapter 11, it talks about the spirit of Elijah and Moses rising up. And I believe the spirit of Elijah, um, Elijah delivered people in the, um, 
in the demonic realm. He really recognized the principality behind the land at the time was Baal. And, and as the Lord called him, he rose up and took a stand against that. And we saw a mighty deliverance. We saw the prophets of Baal slain. We saw the glory of Lord fall. We saw the fire come down from heaven. Whereas Moses, he was called to deliver in the physical realm. And if we look at Zechariah chapter 10, um, God says they, um, they fight in the mire on the, of the streets and the riders on horseback are put to shame. And we're, the Lord referred to the spirits as riders of horseback in Revelation. And if we look at Zechariah 10, that's all about justice and mercy. Um, you know, God's calling us right now as a people, as a nation, as Australians, to be passionate um, for him, to be passionate for, for, for worshipping him, for loving him, for obeying him. But he's also calling us to look at what's going on in our land, to look at what's going on in the criminal law courts, in the family law courts in particular, in our nation. And we're called to fight in the mire of the streets. And as we do this, like David fought against Goliath, David knew that the Lord was with him and he could overcome. And as he fired the word of God, those stones represent the word of God. As he fired them at the enemy and prayed according to the Lord's will, God gave us victory. And I don't believe that this Julie, is Julie, I think we can affirm that you're a great preacher. <laughs> Let's talk about some of those things, though, that Julie is talking about and your response for Julie, because she's talking about... Uh, the way that somehow or other accommodating something which might appear to be unrighteous uh, may be something that we fall short on when we're actually called uh, to be the ones who fight for the widows and the orphans, the downcasts, the, the strangers. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, for Julie uh, when, we, when we talk about these, uh, these sorts of things, Dave? Yeah, Julie, thank you very much for highlighting that because uh, to my great dismay, uh, there's a lot of people who believe Jesus wasn't at all political, but the reality is that he was very concerned and instructed us consistently throughout Scripture, not just in his ministry, to be very concerned with justice and with truth, especially for those people who are oppressed, uh, the the widows, the orphans, the, the fatherless, those appointed to die. And Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 is just perfect in highlighting that that we are called to judge with righteous judgment. And there's this trend and fashion in Christianity these days to resent judgment. And it seems like the only sin in some circles that we can commit anymore is to to actually use our judgment when the reality is that there's so much scripture where Jesus calls us to advocate for, for those issues of justice and uh, and truth in our society. So well said, Julie. Thank you to Julie from New South Wales. Our talkback line open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Barb in New South Wales. Hello, Barb. Welcome along. Thank you to Julie from New South Wales. Our talk Barb, you line. might need to turn your radio down in the background. Barb, are you with us? Thank you. God bless you. Barb, turn your radio down in the background, then we'll be able to hear you clearly. <laughs> okay. Uh, Barb wasn't able to stay with us, obviously. We lost it. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest is David Pello. He has a website called Pello Talk, talking issues, church and state. Christianity and politics, the intersection in our society. We're talking about corporations sermonizing and uh, a few minutes in our conversation still remaining. Still time for another call or two. Uh, when we talk about uh, the church picking up its voice, uh, 
because somehow or other, uh, the nation is listening to the voice of the corporations. Dave, why do you think the church has not been heard as loudly and as clearly in this debate and that somehow or other this vacuum has been filled by people with big dollars using the resources of their corporations? Look, Neil, it's a it's a fascinating question, and I'm sure there's different perspectives on it, but I think we can see throughout the evolution of Christianity since Jesus uh, went into heaven and commissioned us to make disciples of all nations, uh, which is an interesting choice of word, um, that we've had growths in our understanding of different aspects of the truth of, of God, of revelation, of scripture, of, of doctrine. And sometimes we get a, a new truth uh, or a new revelation. It's not a new truth. The truth is eternal, but our, our understanding is new. And sometimes our understanding can be immature. And sometimes we run away with it and, and go to an extreme. And certainly we've tried to be very strategic in our preaching. You know, in the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, there was a lot of thunder in the pulpit. But the the 20th and 21st century has seen us become a lot more palatable, a lot more digestible. We don't want people to choke or stumble on the gospel. And and that's right and good. You know, the gospel is definitely full of full of grace and mercy. And I've got no problems with the concept of extreme grace. You know, Paul was comparable to an ISIS terrorist. He was pathologically getting off on the suffering that he was causing Christians when he was Saul, before he was converted, before he was changed by Jesus. He was a horrible, horrible human being. And yet the grace of God was so magnificent, so deep, so far-reaching, so powerful that it could redeem him and bring him back from that evil and, and that, that wickedness. So we definitely need to major on that grace. But at the same time, in some places, we're starting to lose that thunder, which says, uh, you know, wrong is wrong. Sin is sin. It's destructive. It's cancerous. It's bad for you. It, it not only breaks God's heart and hurts him like it hurts a father when their child does wrong, it actually makes him angry. And he is the righteous judge. And yet there's this marvelous universal invitation without qualification that all should come and receive that, that grace and mercy. But we've almost started apologizing for the the steadfast, immovable truths in the Word of God. We've almost started trying to modify and and, and look, there's definitely people who don't and there's definitely people that do. But I would say that's been part of the problem at the very least. And you were using an illustration a little earlier. Hey, it's time to swim between the flags. Uh, a really powerful illustration. If you missed it, you might be able to pick it up on a podcast. We're taking calls and time is running short. Let's hear from Val in Mackay. Hello, Val. Welcome along. Well, hello. Val, what are your thoughts um, on our conversation today? Well, the church is supposed to be a prophetic voice to the nation. Amen, Val. And a strong prophetic voice. And we've got these religious people and leaders um, advocating for the yes vote. And um, I believe that's the spirit of the false prophet in Revelation 13. He looks like a lamb, but he talks like the dragon. And we know that the dragon, who is the serpent, uh, is there to um, take us away from believing the word of God. 
Well, you touch on some important things here and the idea that Christian believers might contradict the words of Jesus uh, has a very big problem associated with us. Your thoughts for Val, Dave? Look, uh, the Bible is very clear that false doctrines can creep into the church and people can uh, start building on a different foundation other than the one that was established uh, by the the early uh, apostles and and there was a, a mantle and a anointing on them like is not meant to be repeated that the instructions that we find in scripture are the foundation that are, that is eternal and the word of god is eternal and it doesn't change and it's not contemporized and it's not it's not uh made trendy or and it doesn't follow the leading of society um when I say it's not contemporized, what I actually mean is it's eternally contemporary. It's always relevant. And it's society that changes and is unreliable and a, a shifting sand, a terrible foundation to, to build any doctrine upon. And so, again, anybody that interprets and uh, imposes social trends upon the Word of God is is missing the fact that that we were made in God's image and our design is is still constant and steady. And what God designed for us in the beginning when Jesus said uh, the word of God was, you know, a man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh and let no man separate what God has joined together was unique and deliberately exclusive of all other options. Thank you so much to Val from Mackay. Let's take one very quick more Call. Uh, let's hear from Mark in New South Wales. Hello, Mark. Welcome along. G'day, guys. How are you? Well, thank you, Mark. What are your thoughts? And need to be well, quick. We're running out of time. Very quick. I just really wanted to uh, ask is ask us all to stop and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to really come on every politician, uh, every voice that is speaking the truth, uh, every person in Australia that uh, the Holy Spirit would just really, really just uh, touch people's hearts and our word, you know, the words, the truth that's going out, that it would fall on him, listening ears and that he would gain us the victory in Jesus' name. That's really, because all the talk is overwhelming and, uh, you know, the concerns are there and I just really, yeah, I just really wondered that. Mark, we'll take your words as a prayer, and many people who are mm. listening will say amen to that. Uh, your thoughts for Mark, Dave? Should we pray or should we act? The answer is yes. It's definitely both. Uh, we can't rely on just one. Uh, when There's a really, really great truth in uh, the movie Evan Almighty where uh, Morgan Freeman playing God explains... You know, when we pray for patience, God doesn't zap us and miraculously instantly changes into patient people. He gives us opportunities to be patient. And when we pray for a righteous government, he's not just going to zap Malcolm Turnbull or Bill Shorten and turn them into, uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. He's going to give us the opportunities to be the Good Samaritan, be interrupted and practically insert ourselves into the solution that our nation is looking for as well as taking our heavenly authority, spiritual authority in prayer. 
Thank you to Mark from New South Wales. And time now running short for our conversation. It's been a good conversation and it's been controversial at times. There will be a podcast of this conversation a little later on this afternoon on the 2020 page at vision.org.au. Dave, I do want to point people to your website. You've got this Pello Talk website. You do explore those uh, issues at the intersection of Christianity and politics in society. Uh, Pello Talk, remind us of the address for your, your website. Sure. Most of the content is based around logic, data and evidence as opposed to scripture, but it's all re- referencing and reflecting scriptural truth. The website uh, is davepello.com and all the social media channels are also at davepello.com. DavePello.com. Dave, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for being part of 2020 today. I really enjoyed it, Neil. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.